How many of you have seen uh, The Matrix? Yes. Uh, keep, keep them up, please. Okay, most, most. Um, if you have not seen The Matrix, The Matrix came out in 1999. I was in college, and I think it was, it, I love watching movies, love, love watching movies, and if there are eras in movies, um, I think it was uh, the line that moved uh, special effects to a, a whole new world. The special effects in that movie were um, mostly uh, still done with cameras as opposed to the digital animation. Um, and I went to a Bible college that, especially in the 90s, was pretty conservative. and. Uh, we were not permitted to have uh, TVs in our dorm room. Now, this is before every computer played DVDs. Like, the 90s, the DVD was still kind of like, whoa. And you go to Blockbuster, and they had one aisle. <coughs> Everything else was tapes. <laughs> Remember Block? Does everyone know Blockbuster? Okay. That plane has officially crashed. Um, but you, would, you would go into Blockbuster, and it's all VHS tapes, and there'd be the one one aisle. And I remember a friend of mine in high school, like his new PC, like played DVDs. I'm like, oh, awesome. And so like we rolled the office chairs at the house over oh, in front of the TV, like watching movies. Horribly uncomfortable, but it's like you're watching a DVD. <laughs> so we weren't allowed to have uh, TVs in our room. And, uh, and we had a curfew. If you were under, I think if you were under 21, you had a curfew at my, my college. And um, so, but I guess this is a loophole, and don't don't judge me. I was, you know, I know some of you, you know, weren't believers, so you have a lot crazier college experience, maybe, um, if you weren't a believer in college. But uh, so our craziness was to leave uh, before curfew, um, but you can come back anytime you wanted after curfew was lifted at 6 a.m. Right. So we had I had a friend that worked the night shift in this office building, and we're in the middle of Chicago. And nobody was there on this whole floor of this office building. And there was this conference room, and they had all the big comfortable chairs and big office or conference table. And so we'd go to the Blockbuster, and we'd rent movies. And then we would go to the store and get chips and soda and all that kind of stuff. And then kick back in the big leather recliners. <laughs> and he's like working his job, and we're sitting there watching movies. And we watched The Matrix for the first time in there. Mind-blowing. We walked out of there thinking, is this, is this real? You know, like, what's going on? And so. If you haven't seen uh, The Matrix, um, just a quick recap of the plot. It's a sci-fi movie, and everybody's living a normal life, uh, going to work, they got friends, they got family, and um, these guys uh, pick out this one person, and they go up to him, and they basically see, do you want, they say to him, do you want to see the real reality? Do you want to see how things are really going on? Um, he says yes, so they give him was it the red pill? You know, and so he takes the red pill and he goes through this little morph thing and is removed from what he thought was reality into this uh, cyber sci-fi world where machines are in complete control and that every human that exists is alive except they're unconscious and their, their head is plugged into a network. And you know, their head is plugged into this network and so they, they are sleeping but they are believing that they're living this normal everyday life. And actually in the movie, they say that when you're in 
the, in this in this dream world, in this uh, fake computer program, you think that uh, you're going to work, you think that you're taking out the trash, and they think that you're going to church, they actually say. Um, but the, the reality is that's not the case. The reality is that everybody's been imprisoned by the machines, and um, everybody has blinders on, and they can't see reality, except for this select few people who have been removed from the real world into the real reality. Does that make sense? Okay, so that's a summary of the matrix. Um, and I say that as an introduction to this section in Ephesians because Paul is the author of this book and he's writing to this group of believers that are still considered new um, and they're living in a, a pagan world and they're living in a, in a world that they once lived in looking at through pagan eyes um, through, through, the, through a non-believing worldview, uh, but they are now in a different worldview. They are now looking at things differently. And what Paul is doing, not only in this particular part in Ephesians, but in the whole book, is he's calling them, saying that, hey, I'm encouraged, he's writing to them, saying, I'm encouraged by you and, and what I see. Um, I'm praying for you, and that I want to teach and challenge and charge you to continue on at greater and greater levels of knowing and understanding this new real reality that you're living in, even though you're surrounded by a bunch of people who don't see it the way you see it. Make sense? So, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 through 23 is what we're going to read here. Um, can I get somebody to read that for us? And I'd like, I'd like for you to read it twice. Just read it straight through twice. Ephesians 1, 15 to 23. Jonathan Couch, thank you. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things subjection under his feet and gave him this head over all things of the church which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all thank you and one more time for this reason I too having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of glory may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of, of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ, which he, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and every name that is named not only in this age, but also and the one to come, and he put all things in subjection under his feet, and gave him his head over all things to the church, 
which is the body of the fullness of him who fills all in all. Thank you. What we have here is verse 15. It starts off with a simple phrase, for this reason. And last week what we talked about was uh, the beginning of chapter 1 that basically went through that God has a, a, a huge plan that has been at work in eternity past and will continue to be at work in eternity future. That's, that's God's plan, and that's unpacked in the section before this. He goes on to say that not only does God have this plan that goes from the, before the foundation of the world and continues on uh, in eternity future, but for you that believe, you are, you are unimaginably benefited by this plan. That this plan is something that God has put in place, and it benefits you who believe. And But this whole plan that benefits you, that God put in place, eternity past, eternity future, is not for you, rather it is for God's glory. And we see over and over in the text leading up to this that it says, um, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glorious grace. It's this theme that goes on and on and on and on. So this is for this reason. All right. So verse 15, when it says, for this reason... Because we've established this huge plan that, that tremendously benefits you, but that it's for God's glory. For this reason, because I have heard, this is verse 15, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, that I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So this is the beginning of this section that Paul is uh, praying for the believers. Because he's encouraged. You know, there are other books that Paul has written where he's discouraged. Where he's like, what is going on? I can't believe the things that I've been hearing about, about you. These are things that pagans do. Why are you doing them as believers? Right, that's not the case here in Ephesians. Ephesians uh, is, 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 is much more encouraging. And so Paul starts off by saying, hey, I've heard of your faith. Not only have I heard of your faith, but I've heard um, about the love that is amongst the saints. And we see throughout the New Testament how... Um, uh, the love for one another is how believers, uh, is one of the best ways that believers can show their different worldview. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So what are his prayers? Verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Paul is, is praying a prayer, and he's asking for three things in this prayer. He's praying for the saints, and he's asking that they would have, um, uh, let's see, he's praying for what? What are those three things? What do you see there in uh, 17? Spirit of wisdom. Spirit of wisdom. Revelation. Your eyes be enlightened. And enlightenment. See the theme here? <laughs> Alright, so Paul is saying, hey, I hear great things. And I'm gonna I'm gonna be thankful for you and I'm gonna pray for you that you will have wisdom, that you will have revelation, and that you have the eyes of your heart enlightened. Um I would like for us to look at a couple different verses uh, that have to do with uh, wisdom. I've got several pages of notes, so I'm kind of flipping back and forth here. Let me, uh, let me have us turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 
verse 18. 1 Corinthians 1, 18. When Paul is saying wisdom here, he's speaking of something more specific than just knowledge. He's speaking of something more specific than just information or savvy. All right, 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 23. Can I get somebody to read that for us? 1 Corinthians 1, 18 to 23. Hannah, please. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and and a folly to Gentiles. Thank you. The word of the cross, the gospel, what Jesus Christ has done for us, verse 18 in 1 Corinthians 1, for the word of the cross is folly, foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us, believers, who are being saved, is the power of God. For it is written, it's a quote from Isaiah 39, <clears throat> I believe, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the foolishness of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? What, what, what Paul, the author, is saying here is that the wisdom that I'm desiring for you is not the wisdom that everybody else has. That there is another wisdom. That there is something that is, that, that is defined by different standards than the wisdom of the world. It says that uh, the Jews demand signs, meaning that they want to see miracles, that they want to see... Uh, the mystical side of things to prove the things that they claim to believe. And the Greeks want wisdom in the sense of knowledge. Like, why, why don't we reason this thing out to come up with the most logical conclusion? All right? And what Paul is saying here is that I'm praying for you. I'm encouraged. I'm going to go ahead and put encouraged here. Encouraged for you in all these ways. So I'm praying that you will have a wisdom that is not of this world, a, a, a new, new eyes to see the world that you're living in that other people don't see. Revelation means to be, to be revealed. That's the root, the, root word, the root word there. We have the book of Revelation that comes at the end of our Bible. And the book of Revelation is talking about the things that have been revealed in the context of the end times that we haven't come to yet. So that there is truth that has been revealed to some that hasn't been revealed to others. The idea of revealed is, I almost think of a, of a, of a, um, of a car show. A brand, you know, and they have all these prototypes. And you have this form that you can see that it's a car, but there's the, that sheet over it. You know what I'm talking about? And everybody is gathered around. And the, the, the reveal is when you grab it and it's... And then suddenly everyone's like, whoa, there it is. That's what everyone's been talking about. It's this, this, this information that you didn't have, and then suddenly it has been revealed. But this sense of revelation is even one, one step further than a, a form of a car under a sheet. But this sense of revelation is actually a complete unaware, completely unaware of information and of truth that you have then been, has been revealed to you. When I was in, um, when I was in middle school, my... Uh, dad um, owned a steel business like coiled steel thin steel and you would stamp it 
to get auto parts and stuff like that. When I was in middle school in summer, I would uh, I worked in his warehouse, sweeping the floors, cleaning stuff up. You know, he wanted me to earn some responsibility or learn some responsibility. And so I made I made some money and worked around the machinery. And he he worked in this giant. It was a giant warehouse the size of a football field, and he rented about twenty percent of it. So, to make a short story long or a long story short, somebody who worked in another area of this warehouse didn't like the owner of the property and set fire to the whole thing. And I mean, there were, I mean, other people have stored cars in there. Um, Michelin is in the upstate. There were stacks of tires. I mean, this place went up, and I was there. And uh, not only was I there, but I was the last one in the warehouse. The guy set timed things. To burned down so he could leave. I mean, it was crazy. So the whole place went up. Eight different fire stations responded. You know, they had 55-gallon drums of oil, about 200 of them. They're popping and blowing up and, like, crazy experience, right? And I'm, like, 13-year-old Danny watching this whole place just go up. And um, I was in the office building, which was connected to it. And, um, I don't know, it was just, just crazy memories. And so I got called as a middle schooler. I got subpoenaed to... <laughs> testify on the stand, like handle the Bible, handle the Bible, um, you know, do you solemnly swear, to, you know, all this kind of stuff, and there, and I was a witness to what, what went down that day, and um, they had this diagram of the building, and they were like, you know, the fire was set here, fire was set here, fire was set here, here's the doors, um, this was locked, this was locked, this was locked, this was locked, and then I, I entered through this door over here. And so they asked me, you know, where did you enter? Enter here, you know. What about this? What about that? And they started asking me about this other section in the warehouse that was in my dad's area. Um, and I thought that I knew it really well. And they said, and they said, is there a door here? And I said, no. Are you sure there's not a door there? I said, no, there's not a door there. You've been in the building. Yes, I've been in the building. There's, there's just, there's, you're positive there's not a door there. No, there's not a door. So... After, after I got off the stand, my dad was like, there's a door there. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, is it a lie? You don't know the truth. But, like, I, I mean, you know, I was nervous, and I wasn't, I wasn't deceived. But, I mean, in all of my, my time, I had spent hours and hours, spent the whole summer there. Um, we never used that door. We went back to the carcass of the building. My dad showed me the door. Because I was like, no way, no way, you know? Um, but, uh. He was like, there's a door there. And it, it, it just kind of blew my mind because that's the idea of revelation that I, I envision here when I'm reading this text. It's like, I was sure, and even in front of everybody, I was willing to put myself out there and be like, you know, thinking, thinking, no, no, there's not. But in actuality, new information was, was revealed to me in that moment. You know what I mean? So Paul is encouraged, and he's praying for the believers. All right, He's not praying for the non-believers He's praying for the believers. So in, in essence, what Paul is saying is, is you get this, but I'm praying for more of it for you. I'm praying that you will have continued wisdom, that you continue to grow in uh, wisdom and revelation and enlightenment. To be enlightened means to have the lights turned on. You know, in the, in the philosophy, if you studied philosophy, you have that era of time that's called the enlightenment. And it's the time when people were like, aha. I get it, and they use logic, and they, they said, if we, if we can't think it, then it can't be comprehended. Um, and so Paul is saying here, 
um, that he wants the eyes of your heart enlightened, to go from darkness to light, to have the lights turned on in ways that those around you are still blinded, like, like in the Matrix. Um, let's look at Acts 26, verse 17. Acts 26, <clears throat> verse 17. <clears throat> Acts 26, 17. If you have a red letter Bible, then this should be in red letters. Um, Four words before verse 18, because that verse placement is in a weird spot. Jesus Christ is saying to Paul, the author of Ephesians, I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may know, so that they may turn from darkness to light, so that they will be enlightened, and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and, and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. I mean, you remember Paul's conversion? Paul was converted. Um, part of his story is that he, he went blind. That he thought that he saw, and he, he, he obeyed the law as best as he could, passionately, with zeal. You know, it wasn't flippant. He wasn't just like an everyday synagogue goer. But he, he was zealous in, in actually thinking that the best thing that I can do for my God is to persecute these rebels that call themselves Christ, Christ ones, Christians. And so he, he chased it, and God blinded him, blinded him to that. But then God opened his eyes, not only physically, because he did physically, but also he, he enlightened Paul. And then Jesus Christ himself charges Paul that I want you to go out so that others may be enlightened by your words that comes through me. I am sending you, says in Acts here, I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, so that they may have the truth revealed to them. When it says wisdom here, it says a spirit of wisdom, which is a reference to the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit will do a work in you to give you insight and revelation and enlightenment to things that the world just doesn't see, that you will be enlightened. All, all through Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, it talks about the blind receiving their sight, and it's not talking physically. You know, that they would be enlightened. Paul is encouraged, and he's praying them, and he says, I want these things for you so that so that I want these things for you so that you can know what? It says um, in verse 19, uh, or in verse 18, having the eyes of your heart enlightened so that you will know what? Three things. Hope. The hope. The hope to which he has called you. And what else? The inheritance. The riches of his inheritance, there's this whole adoption theme going on throughout the book of Ephesians. The riches of his inheritance. The greatness of his power. The greatness 
I like how it's described here, verse 19, here in Ephesians. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might? Power. Immeasurable. Isn't it interesting that there is a word that describes its indescribable nature? You know what I mean? The immeasurable power. So that you can know something that you can't quite know. That Paul is encouraged, and so I'm encouraged for you, so therefore I'm going to pray that you will have a greater wisdom and a greater revelation and a greater enlightenment so that you can understand the hope that you have and the, the riches that you have in your inheritance and the immeasurable power that is available through Jesus Christ. It's kind of funny how he's measuring the immeasurable. He's showing you the power of God in a way that it's indescribable um, by saying... The infinite power, but you can't measure infinity other by other otherwise by itself. You know what I mean? Yet he's going to great lengths to say, I want you to get it. Yeah. I want you to understand the under the ununderstandable. I want you I want this to be revealed to you because other people can't see this, and that's the point. It must be from yes. the revelation. That there has to be an outside source here that is giving you this because you don't have it by yourself. <clears throat> Let's keep going. Verse um, 19 in the original text, uh, Ephesians 1. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us, speaking specifically to Christ's followers, toward us who believe according to his great might that he worked in Christ. In verse 20 there, you see this connection, that it's not this great might, but it goes into the, the last section of our text. That he worked in Christ... When he raised him from the dead, and he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not, um, and, and he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills all in all. So this power here is connected to what Jesus Christ has done. That Paul, who was encouraged is praying that they would have these things so that they could understand these things, which are built on the foundation of this thing, Jesus Christ. And it goes into pretty uh, great length. It says that God worked this in Jesus Christ from somebody who um, has been raised from the dead. We take this for granted. I take this for granted. We know the story. I was raised with this story. Jesus Christ died on the cross. And he, he came back from the dead. But think about this. This is new information for them. You know? What if, I mean, I hope this isn't sacrilegious, but like what if, what if we all got together and we all had extra money and we were like, you know what? We want to invest. We want to invest our money. Who should we go follow? Who should we go talk to? Who should we go seek counsel from? I got a friend who uh, was dead, and then he came back to life. You know, he raised, he raised himself back to life. And uh, he could do miraculous things. He could feed 5,000 people. He, 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 knows, he knows the future. Let's talk to him. Isn't that a good idea? You see what I'm saying? It's like there's, there's somebody here that something miraculous has happened, and therefore it validates all the stuff that we believe. So this isn't just a new guy coming to town that he's referring to here. But there is somebody here 
who has been dead and then has been raised. That guy who died. And you know what? I heard that he didn't just die, but I heard he was crucified. That he was stabbed. That there was nothing left. That he was buried for days. <clears throat> when normal bodies <clears throat> are rotted in the grave. But he came back to life. And hundreds of people saw him. We believe him. We believe his truth. So when it just says that he was raised from the dead, I think it's so easy for us in 2013, don't you think? Just sit there and be like, yeah, well, that's part of the story. But Paul is saying, the one who has worked through Jesus Christ, that worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. At the right hand of God. That's a terrible little... <laughs> what is that called? That's there we go. <laughs> At the right hand of God. Um, flip to um, I'm sorry. Acts. Acts chapter five, verse thirty, please. Acts chapter five, verse thirty. Thirty and thirty one. Who's got it? Acts 5, 30 and 31. David Smith, please. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sin. Thank you. Verse 31, it says, God exalted him at his right hand. That God exalted him at his right hand. Um, later in Ephesians, we're going to see that those that are followers of Christ will also be brought and will sit at the right hand with Jesus Christ. That the, 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 the phrase, at the right hand of God, is, 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 a, is a place of, of, of tremendous awe. So when it says that he was raised from the dead and he sits at the right hand of God, that means that this is a big deal. That this is not just somebody out there who's a prophet, but to say that you're sitting at the right hand of God equates him with God, that, that makes him equal with God, in fact. And so he's saying he worked at Christ, he worked in through Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Verse 21, Ephesians 1. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. All above rule, authority, and power, and dominion. Above all these. Wrapped. Right, I'm not writing it all out. Rule, authority, power, and dominion. Above all things. I'm helping you remember here, Laura. I tried to make this all into a wrap, but it didn't work. <laughs> and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. If you would flip with me to Philippians 2, verse 5. Philippians 2, verse 5. 5 through 11. I think somebody read that for us. Far above every other name. I'll read it. Thank you, Caroline. Five, uh, Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, 
being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man who humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Verse 9 says, Therefore God has highly exalted him, meaning put him at the right hand of God, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at that name, the name of Jesus, every name will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, meaning those judged, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He has the name above all names. And that there will come a day that when his name is spoken, it will be worshipped by all. Those in heaven and those in hell. But there will come a day when the name that is above every name will be spoken. It goes on to say that it is in this age and in the age to come. Speaking of the eternal aspect of this plan that God has in place. And he has put all things under his feet, meaning the feet of Jesus, all things under his feet, and gave him as the head over all things, of which is the church. That he is the head of the church. Um, so Paul is encouraged by what's going on in Ephesus by those who believe. He continues to call them saints. And so he prays for them. He prays that they would have greater wisdom, a growing wisdom and revelation and enlightenment, so that they would grasp these great riches that they have and the true hope and the riches of their inheritance and the power and the immeasurable power of God, which is shown through the working of Christ, which is not just a prophet, but somebody who's been raised from the dead, who is seated at the right hand of God, who is far above every sort of, of ruler or issue or problem, ruler, authority, power, and dominion, that he has the name, that when that name is spoken, it will be praised and worshipped, and people bow with their knees and confess that he is, he is Lord, that it is of eternal nature, that it's not something that will ever come to an end, and that he is your head, that he is your leader, that he is your, uh, the head of the church, that you are here in Ephesus. As I was studying this, um, I felt like there was a missing piece that I just couldn't, I couldn't wrap my head around. Because I feel like Paul is almost belaboring a point here and saying, I'm, I'm desperately wanting you to get this wealth of revelation. I, I want you to get it. But yet he's talking to believers. Okay. So it's not like he's pleading with them to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. They have already. And, and, and they do have the light turned on. And they have been shown wisdom. And they have had things revealed to them. But yet, it's almost like he's, I mean, he's not begging. I don't want to play it up too much. But he's praying that I, I want these things for you. So that you could have a true grasping understanding of these things that have so much depth that I have to use words like immeasurable to describe them to you. 
But all of this is based on this foundation here, Jesus Christ. That's what it is. And so what Paul is... I didn't know where to go with that. Like, I got it. Like, I know that we have the hope, you know, that no matter what happens in this world, my soul is, is safe and secure. I, I know that. Um, so what, what do I need more of there? You see what I'm saying? Um, honestly, I don't know if, about the riches of my inheritance. If, if you're talking about heaven, it's going to be great. Okay, I get that, but I, I don't know how to describe that, you know? If you're talking about the immeasurable power that we have because of the work in Jesus Christ, like, okay, well, I, 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 kind, of, I kind of get that. What Paul is, is doing here to the Ephesians is he's saying there is a greater level of understanding that you must continue to sink deeper and deeper and deeper into as you're living in this world. And that level of understanding is something that you can't get by yourself. You need it from God throughout the course of your life. It's not one of those things where this light is switched on when you became a believer. There's an element to that. But that God has to continue to do this work to enlighten you to the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. So if you're a believer and you're in Ephesus and your family doesn't believe, and your co-workers don't believe, and there's a stigma associated with you because you do not bow to the god of Artemis, which is the massive seventh wonder of the world temple that is in this town, and, and you, you look down on it, but Paul is saying, listen, you serve somebody that everybody else here at some point in time will bow to, even if it's in hell. And you serve somebody who lived on this earth and they died, and they were raised back to life by their own power as God. That you serve somebody here who has more rule than your father does on earth. That you serve somebody here who has more authority than the government here in Ephesus. You serve somebody who has more power and dominion than anybody else that lives and breathes air. That you serve somebody who has a name that is so holy that when the name Jesus Christ is spoken, people will bow on their faces and say, you are God. And that you serve somebody who is just not momentary, but will be, but will be the king and will have the name that is above all names forever and ever 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 and ever. And he is the head of the body of which you are a part. You're part of his family. You have an, you have an inheritance. You are considered the very son of that God. You are part of that. And you have to look at the world that you live in and see it differently than the way everybody else sees it. That's the matrix connection. That you look and you see people working and you see people playing and you see people fighting and you see people sinning and you see people succeeding and you see beautiful people. You see people who are successful in, in, in life or in wealth or in relationships and that needs to die in you and you need to get a whole new lens you need, you need new wisdom not the, not the foolishness of the world 
but you have been revealed that there is something bigger and better going on, that you don't live for the same things that they live for. You, you don't. That there has been something, there's a light switch that has been turned on by the Holy Spirit in you to see that this isn't all there is. That I can forgive that person who continually hates me and will continually hate me because Christ has forgiven me first. That I, I can do that now. That you can love the unlovely. That somebody can spit in your face and you can recover from that. That, that you can say, it's not about how much money or security that I have. It's not about the fact that, that things aren't working out the way that I would like. It's not about the fact that I wish that I advanced further in my job. It's not, it's not about the fact that, that I wish that I had more security in my life. Because you have somebody who's above all of that. You have somebody who is your father, who raised himself from the dead, who has an eternal plan, who has given you an inheritance, and you have a greater hope than money can buy, than relationships can buy, that your circumstances could ever provide for you by yourself. And Paul is saying, you have to have brand new eyes. The eyes of your heart need to be continually enlightened so that you're shutting your eyes to the world that you actually see with your physical eyes. And you're, and you're opening your spiritual eyes to see the way it really is which is different than the way everybody else in the world sees it. How do you do that? Because this is all nice, you know? And we can, you know, we can, we can, we see how this fits together. If you're a believer, then, then you have been enlightened. Paul says in um, 1 Corinthians 1, I believe that imitate me as I imitate Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so how did Paul, what did Paul do about this thing that he desperately wanted them to get? He prayed for them. He prayed for them. He didn't write a dissertation. He didn't get a whiteboard and try to make logical sense for them. He says, hey, you know what? I'm encouraged by you, so I'm going to pray to this God that you will have the Holy Spirit, the spirit of wisdom, will open the eyes of your heart. I'm going I'm to solicit God. I'm going to bow before him, and I'm going to pray that this will happen for you. That was Paul's vehicle. It's, it seems like there should be something else Paul is doing, but he simply says, I'm going to pray that you get it. What, what do you need to get? You just kind of wrote it all out here as Paul. Paul. He says, I'm going to pray, even though I wrote this all out, I'm going to pray that you get it. And what I think this means for us is that if we're not praying for this, we're not going to get this. We're not going to understand this. If we're not praying for a deeper level of revelation to us, for, in our own heart and mind, if we're not praying for another form of wisdom, to see the situation that we're living in, then we're not going to understand the hope that we have. We're not going to understand the riches of our inheritance. We're not going to understand the power of God. You know what's going to result? Anxiety, fear, anger, sin, despair, blah, confusion, hurt, pain, all of the stuff that sucks in life that you don't want. 
because we don't understand the hope that we have, you know? And we don't understand the riches that we've been given. We don't understand the power that we've been given because our God has been raised from the dead and he sits at the right hand of God and he's above everybody that has anything over us and his na- name above all names and he has an eternal plan and he's our father. Isn't that cool? And so what we have to do is I believe we have to both pray ourselves, make sure that even as believers we are praying, God, open my eyes to your ways because I can't sit here and read Systematic Theology 101 and not be enlightened. God, please enlighten me so that I can understand this better based on this truth. And it's not just a prayer, but that we are working and chewing and spending time on the foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because I believe that if we are struggling with purity, we can't just pray and say, God, please help me to be pure. We need to pray that, but then we need to set up things in our lives um, that, that, that block temptation, you know? If we're saying, God, I need, um, uh, I need um, confidence. I need more confidence. I feel insecure. I, I don't know what's going on. I'm confused. We can pray, God, please, please give me assurance, but we can't just pray for that. We need to make sure that we're, we're praying and that we're going to and that we're doing and saying, well, well what, what is it that, that I need and looking through Scripture and saying that God has a bigger plan and that I can trust his bigger plan even if I don't understand the pieces. That there, there, that there is a combination between praying and going to the foundation and spending time there. Praying for this, which is what Paul did for the Ephesians, that we would have greater wisdom, revelation, and enlightenment so that we could have a more full um, comprehensive understanding of our hope, the riches, and the power, which is only brought to us because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Let me read this one last time. For this reason, Ephesians 1, Ephesians 1.15, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, and what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And to put all things under his feet, and he gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. It's encouraging, isn't it? Be encouraged if you're a believer. And pray that God will give us a greater wisdom and enlightenment so that we can have a more full understanding of these things based on what Christ has done for us. Father, I thank you for giving us enlightenment. Father, I thank you for assigning to believers a wisdom that is foolishness to the world. Father, for for giving us 
eyes by your Holy Spirit that can see a, a totally different world. A world in which you are on the throne as the king with the name above all names in complete authority with a comprehensive plan that dramatically benefits us. And Father, we are simply called by your grace to live in faith, saying, God, help us to see the things that you've already given to us through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Father, we thank you for what you've done for us. In Jesus' name.